here are three tech tips. Every CPA has to know going forward. This is the NJCPA Issues Watch Podcast. Welcome back to a hot, fresh episode of the NJCPA Issues Watch Podcast. I'm your tech host, Sean Stein-Smith. I won't bore you going through all of my background and all that, but I do a ton of work in the, in the blockchain crypto asset space. I'm the former head of the NJCPA Emerging Tech Interest Group, and I'm heavily engaged with the NJCPA and a whole bunch of other trade groups and all the rest, really uh, hammering in on how to integrate blockchain, crypto, and other emerging IT tools in corporate accounting, public accounting, corporate finance, all the rest. And so I'm really, really happy to have here today on the podcast, a friend, colleague, and a, and a peer of mine, Blake Oliver, CPA, but I'll come back to that later, who's, who's a entrepreneur, creator of Earmark CPE, which I'm curious about, and co-host of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, um, and I believe is the top bookkeeping podcast in the world, and is a well-acknowledged thought leader, and also has some other talents as well. Blake, happy to have you here. Dr. Sean Stein-Smith, it's so great to be with you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So the whole industry, be it audit, tax, public, private, whatever, is being heavily influenced by everything IT, right? Blockchain, crypto, AI, automation. And so, you know, to add some extra context to that, how has the technology directly impacted you and your career? Oh, uh, I mean, it has been integral, I think would be the word. It is life-changing would be the other word. So I mentioned I got my start as a bookkeeper. Uh, I am a musician by training. I, I majored in cello at Northwestern University, and I thought mm -hmm. I was going to be in an orchestra. And then the financial crisis happened right when I graduated, and that put that idea on hold for me. I needed to make some money right, mm -hmm. uh, to pay the bills. Uh, musicians weren't doing so well during that time. Nobody was, really, but musicians really were hurting. So I got into bookkeeping. And mm -hmm. My job at that time, we're talking 2008, 2009, was coding transactions into QuickBooks from paper bank statements. And I loved that job. It was great. I could put on my music. I could jam away. I could do it very fast. I was really good at it, at data entry. But right around that time is also when we started to get APIs, integrations, mm -hmm. bank feeds, bank rules, the ability to do all that data entry work in much less time. And I've always loved technology. I used to be into recording technology when I was in college. And so I picked up on this and I figured out how to automate 80% of my job within a year. And I realized there is something here to this mm -hmm. automation thing, this technology thing. So I started a firm, I called it cloud sourced accounting, a play on outsourced and cloud. And we grew incredibly rapidly. Within three years, we had a hundred clients, in five years, we had like 200, and I was able to sell that business to a CPA firm that wanted to acquire our process and our people and all that. Mm -hmm. So like personally, it, it helped me grow and sell my first practice without ever even having gone to school for accounting, uh, you know, just having picked it up on the street, essentially. 
And that, that gave me the bug for accounting tech. You know, look at what it did in bookkeeping. It's already doing a bookkeeping. There's, there's more to come. So that got me really excited. Um, so in the bookkeeping world, I think anybody who does bookkeeping knows just how instrumental it has been in changing the way we price services. It got us away from hourly billing because think about it. If you cut your hours by 80%, how can you bill hourly anymore? You're just shooting yourself in the foot if you do that, right? I think all that's coming for the rest of accounting, for tax, for audit, for all the consulting services we do. So yeah, it's, it's had a big change for me. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I went into working for technology companies. So I've learned a lot about how SaaS businesses, software as a service businesses, look at accounting. And as an, a CPA sitting in one of those companies and two of those companies on the marketing side, I learned a lot about how the rest of the world views our profession. Uh-oh. And I got, <laughs> I got to say, like, it has given me a, a really interesting perspective. So having been in public accounting mm-hmm. and now having gone into tech and now kind of coming back to serve the accounting community, um, I, I can't say it's all that great, John. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, no. Yeah, I mean, and, and we, can, we can talk about this. Like, I think actually sure. the whole technology discussion needs to be much broader than just the tools that we're using. It's really a complete mindset shift. And I don't think that the accounting profession has made the leap to the subscription economy yet. I think we still have a ways to go in that regard. And changing that mindset is my personal mission. Gotcha. Excellent stuff there. And, and to hone in on, on two things that you said, that in that first year of working in bookkeeping, you were able to automate 80% of your job. And probably that's where most of these tech conversations end, right? With, with most people, most firms, and most practices. Because if you tell somebody, I'm going to automate 80% of your job, folks are obviously anxious, right? Absolutely. But, and then on the other hand, right, right, having that expertise lets you grow a practice, build a practice, serve the 200 uh, external clients and then actually sell that that current practice. And so how do you try to cover that gap be, between that upfront sort of fear and the opportunities that always come after? So I think accountants always like the bottom line. And what I say is that you can increase your profitability dramatically if you take these steps because you can fix your fees, you can increase your efficiencies, you can increase your value to clients, meaning you can even raise your fees, and you can do it all with less labor. And that is a hard thing, though, to buy into. And I understand why, because accounting for years, for 100 years, accounting has been very, very labor intensive. And there has been a strong link between the inputs and the outputs. You knew that you could get 2,000 hours or more out of a staff accountant and they could be billed out at a particular rate and you had a certain cost associated with it. So there's a math, there's a business model associated with all this stuff. But technology comes in and disrupts all that because now one accountant who is really good with technology can do the work of two, three, four, or even five that aren't. And now you have to figure out how do I incentivize that person to use technology to do more for me? The billable hour model doesn't work for that. If under a billable hour model, I go and I increase my efficiency and I use technology to reduce my own workload, what's going to happen? Well, the firm's just going to give me more work, mm-hmm. right? So it discourages innovation. 
And it also discourages innovation in the sense that it takes time to see the efficiencies. And a lot of times you become much more inefficient when you're implementing new technology. Case in point, I just switched editing software for my podcast a couple of months ago. It took me twice as long to edit several episodes <laughs> before I was twice as efficient, right? So it, it, mm -hmm. takes, it can take two times longer to do something with new tech, but then eventually you get those efficiencies and it can cut the time in half. That's the sort of thing that takes a lot of risk. You have to be willing to assume risk, that it won't work, that you may have to revert. Accountants are averse to risk. And so it's sort of two things here. We're risk averse, and we have this mental block of hours and inputs being related to our outputs. And we got to get away from that. We got to stop thinking that the time is anything that anyone cares about other than us internally. The clients don't care about it, and it's no longer really all that relevant to what we do. We can use technology to do audits in a fraction of the time, right? We can do tax returns in a fraction of the time that we used to with outsourcing and automation. And it's this, it's this industrial era mindset that we have that is, is blocking us. And, and it goes way beyond just managing a practice. It goes into how we actually develop accounting standards. I think that our accounting standards are way behind the times. And that's based on my work in accounting technology companies. Because the shocking thing to me was when I was at Flowcast and Giraffe, the two companies I worked at for four years total, we didn't ever look at the Gap financials. We didn't care one bit about them. What does that say? These are accounting technology companies. We're making technology for accountants. We have lots of accountants working there who don't even care about the Gap numbers. And that's because Gap hasn't caught up with the times. Same way accounting firms haven't caught up with the times. We're all still looking at this industrial era, hours equal outputs, and just doesn't it doesn't exist anymore. World has moved on from that, like, and and moved on forty years ago in some cases, twenty years ago. We got a long way to go. So I'd love to dig into any of those topics, Sean. I know I opened up a big can of worms with all of that, but like, that's where I'm thinking with technology, big picture like that. Yeah, no, and probably sort of sort of two items that you uh, raised that I want to unpack a little bit is one, sort of how do we get basically all of us as our collective mind here, right, to try to pivot because I know that Ron Baker and a whole host of other people have been out there preaching the value, uh, price to value billing for the last, what, five, 10 years at the very least, but, but it hasn't really budged the overall collective needle because there's still busy season audit season items like that yeah and then and then two sort of on that uh blake i am totally with you on the gap uh fasb issues it, it is unbelievable how out of date gap can be you know and and how out of touch almost fasb is it's a whole other issue which i don't want to get into too much on the njcta <laughs> issues watch podcast but but I mean, you know, but uh, it's, it's a big it, issue. Yes, it's, it is. It yeah. goes to our yeah. entire relevance. And you're big in yeah. the crypto space, which is being yes. impacted by this possibly the most. Because yes, <laughs> what is holding back crypto? A lot of it is like we don't know how to handle intangible assets. And crypto yep. is the intangible asset of the moment. So like here's here's just a really powerful data point to consider. 
if you're if you haven't heard this, you got to pay attention, everyone. The S and P five hundred, great barometer of where we are as an economy, right? Top five hundred companies. So, ninety percent of the value of the S and P five hundred is intangible, intangible assets, and our accounting standards don't really know how to value intangible assets all that well. We do a really terrible job of it, and that's why. Goodwill in the S&P 500 is now like 30% of their balance sheets. Goodwill is just a plug for what we don't know how to value. It's right. It like that's that's what it is when a company acquires another company and we add up the fair value of all their assets and there's a gap. That's goodwill. So it really it really shows you just how that 90% number and then the 30% number show you just how our accounting standards don't know what to do in the subscription economy. Like we're really good at valuing physical stuff, machines, mm -hmm. railroads. I'm watching the show, The Gilded Age on HBO Max. I'm a big sure. fan of Downton Abbey and The Gilded Age. I love all that <laughs> history. And one of the things that's interesting to me is, you know, the, the accounting that we have now developed in that time period and hasn't changed all that much. So here we are, we've got, you know, FASB debating whether or not to amortize goodwill or to impair it as we have been, but nobody's actually talking about, well, how do we, account for the intangible assets that make up the goodwill. Maybe that's what we should be focusing on, right? Eliminating the need for all this goodwill in the first place. So I think we, as accountants, we have just sort of forgotten who our customer is when it comes to gap, right? Who's the customer? It's the investors. And if the investors aren't using the financial statements, what are we doing? What is the point of an audit? What is the point of financial statements if people aren't using them to make investment decisions? And I don't know about you, Sean, but when was the last time that you looked at a set of financials to make an investment decision. Like we just don't, right? There's much more useful information out there like customer growth, mm -hmm. average contract value, lifetime value of a customer, cost to acquire a customer, all this stuff that is non-GAAP, that's way more important than GAAP when it comes to intangible subscription economy businesses. No, and so and so probably what, what I would say there is, is that really there has to be or there ought to be sort of a re-jiggering or a re-codification as to one, what gap is, two, what gap focuses on, and then three, how we try to develop what actually is gap, right? Because yeah. the big, the, because I would argue that the, that the huge obstacle towards having gap keep pace with the market is the process by which gap is actually made, yep. right? That, that, that whole process takes uh, annual years, years to actually get done. And so, you know, if it's crypto, intangible assets, just the gap structure to make it and to update it is not up to uh, par with how the overall ecosystem is actually moving forward. And, and just one thing to illustrate this for our listeners that I learned in my time in tech, is this idea of a subscription economy income statement mm -hmm. where what would be more useful for a subscription business than our traditional gap PL or income statement is if we actually broke out recurring and non-recurring costs, because that's what we really care about in a subscription business is yep. we are building up this asset called a customer database, a subscriber list. That's our asset, but it's nowhere on the balance sheet. And we want to know as investors in those businesses, how much does it cost us to get one of those customers? 
And really, if you think about that, that sales and marketing expense shouldn't necessarily be expensed in the period. Why shouldn't we be allowed to capitalize that expense? Because if it generates a customer that's going to be with us for five to 10 years, yeah. let us amortize that just the way we would if we were building a machine or like the, the matching of income and expense doesn't work anymore in a lot of these businesses, the way Gap is set up. And I think we need to get back to our roots with that. Like that is the, if you think about it, what is Gap? What is the purpose of Gap? It's to help us match income and expense in the correct period. You think about mm -hmm. it, right? That's, yep. all, that's all we're doing when we put stuff on the balance sheet, we're just deferring or accelerating whatever it is. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. And, and if income and expense doesn't match, the financials can't be useful. We don't know what our profit is. That's, that's, and that's why like for years and years, Amazon was, was bleeding money on a gap basis, but they were building mm -hmm. this giant empire. And you didn't see it in the gap numbers, that's for sure. But the yeah. investors who were able to disregard that figured it out. I mean, we actually did a disservice to Amazon in the early years as accountants in many ways. So I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that. But I do think mm -hmm. this is a conversation that nobody is having. I don't hear any other shows. Except us. Except us. We are having this except conversation. Except us. Yeah. So we need to, we need more of a, more of us need to have this conversation. And I don't know. I, you know, I'm an outsider, right? I come from the world of bookkeeping. I'm not from the big four. So I have a different perspective on this thing. Uh, I think maybe we need some fresh views on FASB. I don't know who controls this organization. It, it sort of seems like the Wizard of Oz to me behind a curtain. Who are these people? You know, what, what experience do they have in the real world running businesses as investors? I mean, if, if they've just been accountants their whole lives, then, you know, maybe they need to go talk to some investors and find out what really matters to them. Because that's who our customer is as a CPA community. Mm -hmm. It's the investors, right? Who, who do we make the financials for? Management, but really the investors. So. Yeah. Well said, Blake, well said. Um, and obviously I could have you here for the next eight hours talking on this stuff because it is fascinating, but, but if I had to ask you to try to crystallize all of these different ideas and topics and tools and sort of changes in, in headset out there, um, your top, maybe two or three ways or phrases or items to keep in mind, if you, as a manager at a firm or even a, or even a partner at a firm, are here on this podcast tuning in and are and are saying yes 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 how do um how do i get this ball actually rolling so it's going to be different for every practice sure i would say so i can't recommend like a specific tool because i don't know what you do who you serve but i could give you a place to start and that is Great. the customer experience okay. so look at how your customers experience your firm today and think about how can I make this smoother and better for them? So a, a good way to start is your client portal. Is your client portal easy to use? Is it easy for clients to get you the information they need for you to do their tax return? I mean, if you're sending out paper organizers, there you go. There's a whole world of ways to gather that information digitally that you don't need to do. And I know a lot of firms are sending out paper organizers. A lot of them are using old school portals, which are not great because you can't task your clients. I think all client portals these days should have the ability to create a task for your clients. They can click a button in an email to see it, upload their doc, check it off, done, right? That creates a ton of efficiency right there. So I would say, 
look at client communication tools, look at client portals. That's for most firms, that's going to be a really easy win. Mm -hmm. um, on, on the actual doing the work side, if you're still on desktop accounting software, it's time to make the leap. I think we can say safely that <laughs> there are plenty of solutions out there that are going to be better for you than the desktop software. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the problem is you got to incentivize your staff to want to make the change. And so that's why if you're on an hourly model, if that's how you incentivize your team, you're going to have a really hard time getting them to switch because they are going to be the ones who absorb all the costs of switching because it's going to create extra work for them. And your model doesn't really compensate them for that. So switching off of timesheets as a way to incentivize staff, mm -hmm. I'm not saying get rid of them entirely. I know that's really hard for a lot of firms, but I'm saying don't incentivize your staff based on billable hours because I've seen it. I've been in a firm that did it and it makes it impossible to change things. So you got to incentivize them based on number of clients or revenue, something like that. Give them a reason to want to take on more clients by becoming more efficient and reward them for that. And you'll find you have all-stars. You have folks who can handle twice as many clients as a regular bookkeeper or a regular tax accountant. Those people pay them more. Don't limit wow, their- Wow, <laughs> yeah. Pay them more, Blake? Wow. Yeah. yeah it's don't, a radical thought. I know, right? But, but the way the hourly model works is you yep. limit me as, as a producer. Like I can only produce so many hours and you probably damage me if, if you make me produce too many. So, <laughs> and I like, I, I'm an exam, I'm an extreme example, right? I was the bookkeeper who could handle four or five times as many clients as a traditional one because I automated my job. Now I know not every staff person is going to be that efficient, but I guarantee you they can all handle 50% to twice as much work if you're giving them the right tools and the right incentives, that's the thing that really matters. So you, you got to think about incentives. And, and the great thing is, if you do that, you'll be able to handle this great resignation because there's a lot of firms that aren't. You want to steal the best and the brightest, give them a reason to come work for you. They can make more money. They can do fewer hours. Like my philosophy is if, if a bookkeeper only wants to handle a full-time load, like a standard load of clients, and they can do it in 20 or 30 hours a week, why not? Who cares, right? We don't need to load them all up. They'll be happy to come to you and, and use tech and then do that. So know, those are my sort of overall thoughts on, on technology. There's a lot of cool stuff coming out in the audit world mm -hmm. for automating audits. There's a lot of amazing book to tax software that's developing right now that's going to change tax. Nice. Nice. Right? So like it's always been a problem, right? Getting the numbers from yes. the accounting system into the tax software. Mm -hmm. Folks are plugging that gap now. Nice. So that's, that's, that's something to look forward to. So all this, all this innovation that we've seen in the world of client accounting services or outsourced accounting or bookkeeping, it's all coming for the rest of you. So just get ready. <laughs> Love it. Brace yourselves. <laughs> awesome stuff, Blake. And, and, you know, it's always so good to have somebody on the podcast who is a tech expert and actually is a CPA, right? Who's, you know, in the industry understands sort of the pros, the cons, the opportunities and the headwinds out there and who's actually done it himself, right? Built a firm, sold it, built an app and is actively growing there right now as a real example of how all of us, right? Can you better harness tech tools in, in any area to help ourselves and 
our firms grow and develop. So Blake, it it's it's always a blast talking to you, and it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast this month. Thank you so much. And uh, if your listeners want to get CPE for listening to podcasts, tell them to go to earmarkcpe.com, download the app and sign up and and you'll hear a lot of me, but there's a lot of other voices as well. Some of the most innovative folks in the profession giving away their knowledge because when we all share knowledge, we all win. I firmly believe that Google basically proved that knowledge can be free and can be very valuable. So, so let's keep that going in accounting. Let's be like Google. Well said, Blake. I'll thank you again. And and a few housekeeping notes here. If you have not yet joined the Emerging Technologies Interest Group, join it. It's at njcpa.org slash groups. And I'll be back each and every month with hot and fresh episodes of the NJCPA Issues Watch podcast. Thanks. See you next time.